When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart You can finally start To live your Truthiest Life. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. It's your host, Lisa Haim, and today's episode, the special guest is actually me. So quick update before we dive in. Many of you probably already know from Instagram or my newsletter that I am pregnant. First timer over here. By the time this episode comes out, I'll be about 16 weeks. So into my second trimester. And it's been a very interesting last couple months, especially mental health wise. That being said, everything I'm going to share today in this special mental health episode really applies to my life way before pregnancy. So I think it's really available for everybody, not just people who may be pregnant. Actually, has nothing to really do with my pregnancy. But I do want to share that this time heading into March, the time of year where I usually struggle the most, I kind of have this new layer on me, which is um, all the hormones that come with pregnancy, as well as wanting to really make sure that the life inside of me is, um, you know, getting the proper support and safety that it needs. And I know that my well-being is going to play a huge role in the baby's well-being. Interestingly enough, the baby's nervous system is already being developed. So that's kind of what puts us into fight or flight or if we feel calm. And I truly do believe that what I feel, baby feels. And therefore, um, this time of year, I have been extra reflective about how far I've come, the tools that I've acquired. And I'm really excited to share this special episode with you and share all the ways that I do prioritize my mental health in hopes of helping you. I also know that I wouldn't have gotten here, getting a little teary-eyed already, without all the tools that I have accrued in the last decade. So this is my, I'm going to call it my March Madness Mental Health episode. And little disclaimer here, or big disclaimer, I should say, this podcast episode should not replace therapy or working with a mental health professional. While I advocate for mental health awareness and work to remove the stigma around it, I, Lisa, am not a mental health professional. I'm a trained dietitian, not a mental health professional. And I'm just sharing my personal story and things that work. I am going to put an emergency hotline information for anybody who just needs it right now. So if you're in that place where life is just too hard, please use some of these free resources that are available at 
all times. Your life is so important and you are worth it. And I know sometimes it can feel really dark, especially after this last year, but I need you to know that nothing is wrong with you. And every single day we need to support one another. And we are all here for anybody out there who is struggling really badly right now. My purpose for sharing this story is to reduce the stigma around things like anxiety and depression, depression being kind of the keyword there, share my story in one full place and some of the most life-changing tools that I think could help you. And also just, again, remind you that there is nothing wrong with you for having these feelings. There's nothing broken about you. And you are absolutely lovable, even in your most anxious, depressed or whatever mental health issue you might struggle with. While I do still struggle, I'm not here being like the perfect, I'm on the other side and everything's great and I used to have anxiety and depression. I really do feel that everything that I've done and everything I do on a very ongoing basis has changed my own nervous system at baseline. I just feel like at baseline, I'm a very different person. And for that reason, I truly believe that change at this really fundamental layer is possible. That doesn't mean that I don't struggle, that I don't revert if I'm triggered and kind of, oh, kind of pop off and that nervous system that I used to live with, <laughs> does I don't see her from time to time. But my day-to-day -day response to things is very different and I'm constantly able to better support myself and notice if I'm in a calm and rational state or a frazzled emotional state and do some things to get myself back to calm and rational. So in this episode, I'm also going to share my thoughts on medication. I'm somebody that was on medication for a very long time, multiple medications, currently off and kind of having that perspective of being on and off. I want to fully get into that with you. I'm going to share things I've never shared before. I'm doing that here because the podcast is a place where I can kind of give you longer stories and explain a little bit background, give disclaimers, and just kind of go into detail about things that you can't really do in an Instagram caption or story. So I thank you for creating this safe space for me as well. And um, I'm really going to let kind of my human show. So thank you for being here and really taking the time to listen to this episode in full. There is a lot in this episode. So just to prepare you and to stay focused, I'm going to really hone in on anxiety and depression. I'm going to leave the food and body image stuff mostly out. I talk about that stuff all the time. While it is related, it is also separate. And we could also just be here forever. That being said, I will say that my mindfulness with food completely has transformed my life outside of food. So for anybody that is really struggling with the food stuff, it's a perfectly okay place to start as well. And you can head to ForkTheNoise.com to learn about my mindful eating courses. Um, my next one kicks off in just a few weeks, which is Fork the Noise Hunger and Fullness. And I would love you to check out that course and be part of that journey with us. Okay, I am recording this episode in March, which is historically the time that I just visibly unravel. <laughs> the first March that I realized this was about eight years ago. And since that first March, it's kind of been cycling ever since. Probably was going on before that without me actually realizing. But that's kind of like the earliest memory that I have of me doing certain things, acting out in certain ways, and really, I guess, having it come to the surface. Uh, I think I've had anxiety and depressive symptoms far before I ever caught on to the fact that there was something wrong that needed attention. But that's probably how it goes for most people. Anyway, depression, especially a sort of functional depression like mine is, was, it didn't have the telltale signs like, okay, like depression I always thought of was somebody crying in bed all day or they lost somebody or went through something huge and they kind of just were in this isolated state. My story is a little bit more complicated. You'll you'll learn about my wake up call and that symptom that really like let me know that something bigger was going on that needed a little bit of uh, eyes on it. And you'll learn the tools that I've developed along the way to check in with my depressive symptoms, my thoughts on medication around depression, anxiety, and really how I'm doing today. So reflecting a lot lately, I realized that these past eight years, so since I've been about 24 years old, have been marked by three main relationships in my life. And each of these relationships 
I kind of see as like chapters in my mental health journey. It's kind of interesting that it comes down to three partners in my life, at least the way my brain kind of breaks that up, especially because I think of myself as like a very independent woman. But the truth of it is each of these relationships played a role in how I showed up to them and my mental health that was kind of surrounding, circling the situation, kind of like sharks on the prey without me realizing. And then, of course, how the partners played a role in either supporting me or pushing me along my journey to figure it out on my own. I will not be bashing any of my exes. In fact, I fully respect the two that I'm going to talk about and even more grateful for the role that they played in my life, even though there was certainly a lot of pain involved for um, both of us, I think. So I can tell you this, despite being into health and wellness eight plus years ago when all this was going on, I was in grad school. I was obsessed with eating healthy. I was working out all the time. It's kind of funny to me that I called myself into health and wellness when the reality was I had no mental health tools. And without really talking about mental health, are we really able to say we are into health and wellness? And I think that's a bigger conversation to have. But we do need to begin to think about when we prioritize health and wellness, are we also including mental health into that discussion? And oftentimes we're not, you know, we're doing things that actually negatively impact our mental health for the sake of eating healthy or working out. But now that I do have more tools and health and wellness has an expanded definition in my mind, I'll also let you know that it's not always easy or simple. Having the tools doesn't make them always easy to use, especially in those really hard moments when all you want to do is be alone and not use them. And you can get kind of stuck even if you have the tools. Nonetheless, I think they are important tools to have on a daily basis and getting stuck and kind of tripping up doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with us either. And that's not failing. And it's important that we don't see ourselves as failing when we can't kind of quote unquote get it together and just, you know, not be that way. Anyway, I think the main difference is I have so much love for little Lily who was hurting so bad and running. That's the theme. I was running from myself for so many years and life can be difficult. But I think the key is we cannot run from ourselves. We need to allow ourselves to emotionally process that really hard stuff and stay present in the moments where we so badly want to self-medicate, physically run, change locations, be impulsive, um, self-isolate, all those things. And it can be really hard, but staying present with ourselves in those hard moments, I think, is how we bring the compassion factor into our lives in those moments when it's absolutely the hardest. And that's when we become our own friend. And even though I'm talking about all these relationships with different partners, all of this plays a role in how I became my own advocate, my own friend. And even though I'm talking about different partners and different relationships, so other people being involved, each of these stories gives a clue as to how I became my own best friend. It was not easy. There were difficult moments. There were hard questions to ask. There were really deep-seated beliefs that came to the surface about my worthiness of love and you know, all those those things of wanting to belong. But nonetheless, I think that each relationship, I know it sounds a little funny, each relationship with another person after the fact or perhaps during, as we will end with Evan, allowed me to become my own best friend. And it's really important that me as a best friend, I'm not always doing the easy thing for myself. Sometimes I have to be a little bit disciplined with my mental health. Sometimes I have to do the hard thing, but I am showing up for myself every single day. And I like me. I think that's the important thing. I really like me. I believe that I'm lovable now. That's that's a cornerstone of my being. So let's kick this off with the first relationship. We're taking it all the way back to 2013 with my ex-boyfriend. We'll call him B. Um, We were together for three solid years, and he was absolutely my best friend. We had a ton of fun together. He's still a really good friend, actually. Just welcomed a baby girl into the world. Congrats to him and his beautiful wife. And we went through really big things together. Um, He lost a sibling 
you know, going through that grieving process with somebody will bring you very close and create a different type of relationship than ever had before. That time in my life, I had kind of transitioned out of graduating college and beginning grad school. I was kind of like this confused adult type thing. <laughs> and my friends loved him so much. So did my family. I still love his family. And it just worked. And at this point, I was becoming hyper obsessed with fitness and food, although I wouldn't have called it that. I would have just called it, you know, those are my only interests. Everyone around me thought I was normal, that I was just getting really into health and into nutrition. And, you know, it was just a different time where we didn't talk about things like orthorexia. And I do remember the one kind of thing about this time was that the only way I could get happy and kind of like high, for lack of a better word, was by going to the gym and getting those endorphins, you know, running fast or doing just intense cardio. And while there's nothing wrong with getting endorphins from a workout, it's important to really look inwards and ask, okay, you get endorphins from a workout, but are you also deriving joy and happiness and feelings of high if we can't make it to the gym. For me, I can tell you now, I get joy from really little things and that has totally transformed my relationship to happiness in general. You know, hearing birds chirp, you know, I, I might have never noticed that 10 years ago, but when I hear birds chirp right now, I notice that I actually like that and I tune more into that. There was no little joy for me. There was no finding joy with friends and family, even in like the bigger life moments, like celebrations. I just was empty on the feel good, hormones, but the only place I could get it was when I manufactured them with working out. Didn't see a problem with that, but I think it's important one to call out as I think a lot of times when we are anxious or depressed, we turn to exercise and it feels like a great solution and it can certainly be part of a big picture protocol, but it's important that we recognize if we can't get feelings of high and joy and feeling okay in our bodies any other way. Anyway, out of the blue, I woke up one day and I just knew that I had to end this relationship, although this was the right move for the long term for both of us in the short term term, it was really impulsive. And I think it was really my first sign of being a little bit manic and also trying to isolate myself. Even though it was my call, it left me feeling alone and scared. You know, his response was okay. What else was he supposed to say? Maybe I didn't want him to say okay. I wanted him to fight for me a little bit more. And you know, I wasn't able to put any of that into words, but it left me alone. You know, this was my person and it was my call, so my fault. But all of a sudden, I didn't know what to do with myself. I had a friend out in California. I always thought California would be this fun, sunny place. So I booked a trip to go stay with her. But as soon as I got there, it became clear that I would not be somebody that could stay with a friend. Although I was there physically with her, I remember walking down a main street in LA and feeling like I was floating above my body, like watching myself. And it's a very hard feeling to explain. This was the first sign that I knew something was not right. I had never felt this before in my life and I didn't know what to do with this. And I just couldn't be with other people. The fun I came to have wasn't possible. And so instead of staying with a friend, I booked a hotel room to stay alone for the remainder of my trip, got to the hotel. And I remember I woke up one morning, I hadn't gone out the night before. So just to understand what this looked like, I woke up the next morning in my bed with empty bottles just strewn about my body, empty liquor bottles. I'm never somebody that takes shots. I don't drink vodka. Um, I like wine, but I don't, you know, take shots by myself. I don't drink alone, don't drink when I'm not, you know, going out or at dinner. And while I've never had a problem with alcohol, I had never drank at that capacity alone. And it was very clear that that was me drinking to numb and run and get out of my body. This felt very out of character and very scary. Previously, drinking was fun to dance, to be with friends, to amplify a meal. Uh, maybe not at that point to amplify a meal. I was pretty young, but I mean, I was never drinking to drown out my sorrows. And this terrified me. Having family with substance abuse issues, knowing that addiction could very well be in my future, I really scared myself here. And I didn't know where to really go from here. I had lost my lifeline. Oh, I cut him out. And I don't know. I didn't know who to tell this to. It was embarrassing. It was dark. It felt shameful, even though I had only done it this one time. When I returned from California, I went to my therapist. I told her about this floating experience, everything else going on in my life, the self-medicating with 
alcohol, although I probably didn't know that that's what that was at the time. This therapist that I was seeing happened to be a psychiatrist. So psychiatrists do medication. They don't usually do therapy in addition to medication. Normally you see a therapist and a psychiatrist. This psychiatrist would sit with me and talk through things with me, but I didn't see her very often. I saw her when things got really bad in my life, like emergency situations and when I needed more refills, of course, for the medications that I was taking at that time. But this time she said, well, it sounds like you have depression. And this was crazy. Like anxiety, I knew. I had been dealing with that for a couple of years. But depression, depression was dark. It was ominous. It felt intense. But what I was feeling was so intense as well that hearing those words from a doctor, a trained professional, actually was validating. I knew that something else was happening to me beyond anxiety as I knew it. And having a word or a diagnosis felt weirdly comforting to me. I felt seen. I felt like, okay, I know what this is now. I can start to have a plan. Well, the plan at the time was she put me on an antidepressant and not really anything else at the time. This sort of did the trick. Within a few weeks, I was starting to feel a little bit more like me again. I could function. Those big symptoms weren't playing a role in my life anymore. I just kept on keeping on adding depression to the list of mental health struggles, thinking that I kind of, okay, I figured this out. I just take medication and that's that's what I have to do for this. B and I, that boyfriend, we never got back together. And I spent uh, six months or so kind of of refinding myself, trying to orient myself in the adult New York City world. And come September, I had somehow met somebody new. And by total surprise, this new boyfriend was it for me. Plot twist, it's not Evan. <laughs> so let me zoom out here and just explain my life at the time. My family structure at this point, my dad and my stepmom have a little son, my little brother, Max, who I absolutely love. He's 16 now, but he was about eight at the time. And they're kind of their own family structure. My two older brothers have their own lives. They're married. And my family base is no longer there for me. You know, most of my friends, when they would go home and visit, they'd go home to their home where they grew up and their bedroom stayed the same. And, you know, there was just this like familiarity of going back somewhere. For me, there was no longer that home base because everybody had kind of scattered. And my dad, my stepmom and Max were really living their own life, which was fine, but it left me without a base, I guess. And I missed that. I wanted that. I was jealous of my friends that had that, especially, you know, I am a very family oriented person. I don't have a ton of friends. I like to just be with family. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The next boyfriend, we'll call him Jay, he was 13 or 14 years older than I am. That's a pretty big age difference. I was 25. He had two kids. Um, That's a pretty big lifestyle change compared to, you know, the life I was living. And despite our really big differences, there was just something very strong there, at least for me, can't speak for him. And I felt just safer than I had ever. In hindsight, I can be honest that he just checked a lot of my broken boxes. You know, he had that family. I loved his kids. They made me feel so whole and wanted and had a place in this world. He was successful and I was just really figuring out my life. I had been rejected from the dietetic internship the year before, didn't know where my life was going. He was older, so he was financially secure. You know, that was a big thing in my life too. I didn't know how I was going to make money in my life. And it just created this sense of comfort that a lot of my issues kind of stemmed from. It sounds weird, and I would not have been able to put that into words if you asked me then. I was just, you know, all in for him. He was the one. But looking back, I could kind of see how all the rest of like what I was missing, he, you know, filled that void. Anyway, we had a very intense six-month relationship, which is obviously not very long. But I think that when kids are involved, it's usually either serious or it's not. And for a minute, I believe we were all in for each other. I was certainly all in. Being very careful not to speak on behalf of anybody who's not here. But so telling my side that I was all in, this was it for me. You know, if he had said, I don't want to have more kids, I would have said, okay, (laughs) you know, that's fine because I just want to be part of this life. And if he said, I want more kids, I would have said, okay, let's let's do this. It was just, how can I fit into your life? That's how in I was. So when February, March came around, we had been together for about six months. Uh, so did my mental health stuff to nobody's surprise. I knew to warn him about it because, you know, last year, the year before that, the depression hit and I was impulsive. I broke up with B. I pushed him away and I didn't know what I would do if these things kind of came back. And I knew to warn him, but despite my warnings, he couldn't take it. It scared him to see me push him away, to act out, to bring my instability and mood issues. You know, for me, I was like being swallowed by a cloud that I could feel encapsulating me, but I couldn't make my way out of it. And so I thought by telling him, like, just don't, I I might push you away. I might do these things. He would know that I still am committed, but it was too much for him. And he dumped me you know, went from very intense forever type of talk to, no, I can't do this. And, you know, he did break up with me in a, in a very in, overnight way. But at the same time, I do remember him very lovingly telling me, like, go find somebody closer to your age and do life, you know, the right way, quote unquote. But translation, all I heard at that time was, you're too much to handle. You know, you're broken. I saw it. I don't want anything to do with it. That shattered me. That really made me afraid to ever open up to anybody else. I was had this moment where I opened up to a person completely fully and I needed them more than ever. I told him I needed help and he just abandoned me, ripped off that already abandonment wound that I have and left me to figure it out myself. And I had just given so much emotionally to this relationship that I could not believe that he had done that to me. I had never been that on display with another human being and I put it on display and it backfired, you know, most importantly, you know, I think that by showing him my broken parts, which he said that he could love, turns out that he couldn't love all of me. So translation for me was I am not lovable if I am to be all of me. He was cool with the fun young me that was in a good mood and upbeat, but he was not fun with that other side of me that unfortunately is me. 
And things got really dark for me. I was already, you know, struggling at the onset of this and then add on this. And I just had nowhere to go. I was basically living with him at the time. I had no real good feeling of what home was. Every day felt impossible. Went back to the doctor, upped my dose. Within a few months, I was back to quote unquote functioning. A year or so later, I met Evan. And despite being afraid to show up as the real me, because last time that didn't work out so well, I did, you know, still show up with truth. And I told Evan, I have anxiety, I have depression, I have big sleep issues out the door. I just want him to know that I'm a handful. And if he's not interested, you know, I get it. Just leave now. Let's not move further with this. But even though I said that I had those things, you know, I was medicated. I was very functional, despite the sleep issues that he was probably could see that I was still struggling with that. But he was like, okay, okay, yeah, 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 you have that stuff. Like, sure you do, kind of, because I didn't act that way. So I I let him know about everything up front, but I was still, you know, it was a new relationship. We were having fun. I wasn't bringing the anxiety into the depression, you know, on day one. But as we got a little bit more serious, a couple months in, he started to really ask questions about all the medications that I was on. You know, again, I seemed happy, fine, functional. He didn't know why I was on all of that. And not in a controlling way, just in a caring way. And here's the thing. At that point, I didn't know how to live without any of those things. So these medications became my lifelines. And I was afraid that if by taking away a medication, that would also mean that I would unravel, show him those scary parts, and then lose another human that I had come to really love. I had to show Evan that my mental health situation was real, include him on how dark it can get. He's not somebody that relates to really, I think everybody gets anxiety, but can't relate to depression. And I mean, he's never ever had trouble sleeping, you know, any of my things he just hasn't experienced in his body. And I had to include him on who I am fully, but without letting myself absolutely go there. So instead, I brought him to therapy to meet my therapist. And that day changed our lives as a couple because I was able to give Evan a bird's eye view of how I function, who I am without keyword having to deteriorate in front of him and show him what depression, you know, looks like for me. And he also came in with an open mind and we left with him understanding. And he never once questioned again, you know, my medication or who I am. And I got to see the type of man he was. He was willing. He was able. He was open minded and he was supportive. So during my time with Evan, my aunt suggested that I try a new therapist. She's a therapist as well. Keep in mind, prior to this, I was only seeing a psychiatrist and I only went when things got really bad. This type of therapist practiced a different type of therapy and it was someone that my aunt really looked up to. I'm obsessed with my aunt. She's kind of like my lifeline in this world. And the person that she recommended to me is somebody she looks up to very much in the field. So you've probably heard me say this a thousand times, but my therapist, Natasha, she changed my life. From our first session, I knew that this was going to be what I needed to be doing. So for two whole years, I went every single week without missing a week, not just during emergencies like I had been doing for the rest of my life in therapy. And I would show up even when things were seemingly boring and plain in my life. By doing so, I got to the root of so many of my issues, not that that makes them go away, but I was no longer being chased by these demons that I didn't understand. I allowed myself to emotionally process, to feel the pain that I was running from. I learned how to manage my emotions, to understand them, to read my body when it felt unsafe, which is a really great clue that things aren't okay. Our body communicates with us very well. And I learned to communicate with myself and with others in a way that I had no clue how to. Previously, when things got hard or I was emotional, I just shut down. I couple this with Evan, who never left my side, even when I'd act erratic or reject him, when I'd be trying to self-isolate some of those depressive symptoms. I had some really good groundwork to do the work. And I don't think you need to have a partner to do this work. I think any time is a good time. But um, for me, you know, given that I felt that I had this deep fear of being unlovable, having somebody there saying, I'm not leaving you, was really helpful, to say the least. Moving into the discussion of medication and my thoughts around it, I think this is a really complicated topic. I don't think it's black and white. Of course, medication is and can be overprescribed and abused, but I think it most importantly, it can also save a life if really managed by a doctor, used appropriately, and used at a, at a time when you need it. I think choosing to go on medication can be the strongest thing that you 
you can do. And I know for me, during the time that I've used medication in the last few years, doing so is actually what allowed me to get to the place where I could learn new life skills. So all those things that I learned with Natasha, emotional regulation, communication, staying present, I couldn't have done it without the medication filling in the blanks of what my brain wasn't putting out chemically, if that makes sense. I can't tell you how invaluable it was that I knew what I needed, that I worked with a professional, that I upped my doses when I had to, and that I never felt weak or embarrassed for doing so. I was so grateful because the medications made me feel like me. Ah, what a good feeling. Eventually, with the help of a doctor, I got off of each of these medications very one by one. Do not ever go off medication on your own. Our bodies are our chemistry projects. We have different chemicals in them. When we put one in, when we take one out, we can have drastic side effects that are dangerous. So please always make sure to work with a professional when going on or off a of medication. The type of drugs that I was on too, by the way, were not fast acting drugs. So I was not on things like Xanax that, you know, when you're having anxiety, you kind of just take. I was on pills that were creating the chemicals that my brain wasn't putting out, for lack of a better word. I kind of give this example like how a diabetic needs insulin. You wouldn't not give a diabetic insulin when their body's not producing it the same way you wouldn't not give somebody with depression the serotonin that their brain isn't putting out. I'm oversimplifying that, but I think it's just important to recognize that the type of drugs I was on, you know, if I didn't take it for a day, nothing happened. You should take it every day. But they were in my system. They were helping create the regular flow of chemicals that most people have on their own. And for whatever reason, mine wasn't putting out. And I know that without them, I would not have been able to learn the tools that I now rely on without medication. That being said, I don't see this as me being better because I'm not on medication. I see this as a journey. And right now in my journey, I started to recognize that I was doing okay. And one by one, I was able to kind of allow my tools to grow and be in a life place where I felt stable enough to pull it back. And I know that if I do need to go back, I'm not weak for doing so. Or if I do want to go back, that's something that I'll discuss with a mental health professional. And I suspect that in my lifetime, there will be situations where I do recall on medication for saving my life. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I think that medication is it should be thought about. It should You should work with a professional and you should know that by doing so, you are not weak. You are absolutely strong and it can save your life and help you become the person that you so very well can be. Anxiety is a lot less of a frequent flyer in my life now, of course, sometimes present. I'm not sure exactly when or what I did to get rid of that generalized state that I always had because for a long time I was just anxious, period. But I know for sure that one of the things I did was mindfulness, being able to observe my thoughts and care for myself as a friend rather than what often happens with anxiety is you have anxiety and then you panic because you're anxious and then you spiral out of control. I'm really good at noticing when anxiety is in my body and doing something about it to let the body know that I'm safe and not perpetuate the feeling. Don't always get it right, but I'm a lot better at that. Depression comes up a little bit more, but it's a little bit less destructive so far in my life, perhaps because I'm able to notice earlier signs and I'm taking action every single day to check in with myself. And the last thing I want during the time when I am depressed is for anyone to notice self-isolating is a big one for me. But at the same time, it is the moment that I need people more than ever and they can be lifelines for me. So very often I will reach out to friends or communicate with Evan that it is happening. On my last trip with Evan, we were just away. I reflected on who I am now versus who I was when we first met. And when we met, I was a lot more attention seeking. I was loud. Um, I was kind of like a class clown. And I really thrived off of the validation from others, even on the internet. And to be honest, I could really care less at this point if anybody notices or recognizes me. And don't get me wrong, I love social media, I love all of you, but I don't thrive off of the validation anymore. And I could easily give all of that up and live a private life where I don't put this all on display. And I think that is because I'm deeply fulfilled and I have patched up those holes in me that I was skirting around and that I was inaccurately trying to fill with 
the wrong things for a long time. I have a really, you know, strong sense of self-worth. I believe that I'm lovable despite my baggage. I love me. That's the most important thing. And as a result, my priorities of what I'm doing with my time, the words that I'm speaking, all those things are really in order. So some big themes in my life that have kind of helped me find that inner voice in me. I feel like the confidence. And these are things that I do on the regular, not just when I need them, are therapy, and we'll dive into that a little bit more when I answer your questions. Yoga. So yoga was huge for me in my mind-body practice. Finding the right practice and teacher and sticking to it, showing up every day it can just be such a good place to let yourself like emotionally get a good cleanse. It's a form of meditation, but sometimes having movement with it can be a really great entryway into meditation. If you're just like, when I sit down, I just think about a million different things. Movement can really take you to some deep places. Tech free time and noticing when tech is starting to negatively impact me and do something about that. Meditation. So meditation for me now, it's kind of changed over the years, but meditation is a time where I let my emotions really come up. Usually the ones that I'm stuffing down, I might not even realize that I'm doing that throughout the day, but we have busy days. We can't let it all come up. And during meditation, I'll kind of deal with them one by one. And I got really serious about my almost daily meditation practice last summer after I took a program, an online course called The Power of Awareness. You've probably heard me speak about it before, but it was life-changing. It's a great mindfulness course for anybody who's looking to kind of dive deep into emotional places, but not just dive deep, gain tools to do so in a way that I think really allows me to heal on a daily basis. I just looked it up. The next program starts April 19th, so I'll leave a link for that below as well. Okay, mindful alcohol consumption. This is a big one. (laughs) Alcohol is a really easy way to run from ourselves. And sometimes we do so in ways that are seemingly uh, normalized with how we drink, whether it's happy hours or at dinner. But I think that really having good rules in place about when you drink, how often you drink, why you drink, most importantly, is really key. And I have certainly lessened my alcohol. Well, now I'm pregnant, but I've lessened my alcohol intake prior to this and really become clear on all that stuff. I never drink when I'm sad. I never drink to get away from an emotion. I never drink if I'm uncomfortable socially. Those are situations where I actually want to push myself to be present. So alcohol for me is just like in celebration or amplifying a meal. And it's it's pretty cool what happens when you transform your relationship to it. Good sleep is key for me. Insomnia was a big issue for a long while. And I have to prioritize my sleep now for my mental health. Whole blog on that. So if you're just starting here, I just suggest at least you put your phone away before you get in bed. This was a huge one, but I promise you that scrolling while you're trying to sleep will not help your sleep. And going to bed at the same time every night can be really helpful, even on the weekends or, you know, not having your weekends look drastically different than your weekdays. I'm also honest with myself, really brutally honest with myself. And that allows me to take care of myself and check in with my needs and show up for myself. All right, now I'm going to transition into answering your questions that you submitted via Instagram. First question, how do I start therapy? Great question. I just restarted with a new therapist and a great place to start is Psychology Today. You can put in your insurance, you can put in where you live and you can interview a few on the phone. They'll usually do like 10 minute consults and be prepared to go through a few of those. And even once you narrow down who you do wanna work with, it might take a few different therapists to try and find the one that feels right for you. Totally normal to not hit it off with a therapist. Just don't give up. Little side note, the first session is usually pretty exhausting, but if you can do it on a day that you're a little bit more open or where you can relax afterwards, that can really be key. You might feel deplete after, but in a way that kind of has you feeling much lighter and better than you did before. Okay. Medication question. Do I think it's possible to get off of them? Totally depends. For me, it was possible. But again, I don't see this as the end of the road. I don't believe in glorifying being off medication. I'm not better today than I was last year, two years ago when I got off the last medication. And I think that it's important to not see it as that because if I do ever want to go back on, I'll have a hard time honoring my needs if I see myself as better now than I was then. There's no shame in being on them for a lifetime or getting off of them or tapering them as you need. 
getting off of them. As I mentioned, to work with a doctor, that tapering is key. Going cold turkey can result in seizures. They can be really dangerous. So really don't want to minimize that. Anxiety tips. Start to get to know your triggers. Is it situations? Is it places? Is it people? Is it dietary like caffeine? Is it lifestyle related to alcohol consumption or no sleep? Practice self-compassion. Holding yourself, being your own friend. Start right now with just hugging your own body. Find a mantra that makes you feel safe when you feel that anxiety coming in hot. Maybe just, I am breathing in, I am breathing out. That's just an easy one I always come back to. And practice breath work when you're not anxious. So that tool is available for you when it does come on. Next question, how to manage anxiety when you can't stop thinking about the worst things? So this person's asking, how do I not spiral when I'm feeling anxious? So I try not to waste my worries. Sometimes I call them wasting my fucks. And what that means is if I start to worry about something that's going to happen in the future, I recognize that if it happens in the future, I'll deal with it then. But worrying about it now is just wasting an extra worry. So I'm worrying now that it might happen. And then if it does happen, I'm worrying again, right? That's a wasted worry. And it is a huge energy sucker and it will rob you from the present. If you can be more in tune with your inner voice, recognize when it's pivoting and not serving you, you can lovingly guide it home. Start to notice what it feels like in your body when your mind is going. The body sends so many clues, maybe physical symptoms that you can see or just internal feelings that that internal state is changing. Maybe it feels like the walls are closing in. Get to know what it feels like when you're spiraling so that you can catch that maybe before the words in your head even make any sense. How can you tell that it's depression or just an eh day? Great question. So everyone has bad days, right? And on bad days, my energy might be a little bit sour. I might be frustrated. Things might be going wrong externally. I might be a little bit cranky or moody. But depression... For me, it feels like just a whole out-of-body experience. I usually want to stay in bed. I want to sleep. I usually self-sabotage. I don't show up to things that are important or and I break commitments, which is just not me. Wanting to isolate is a big one, which is why I always throw out a quick life raft, meaning I text a friend or I call Evan or tell Evan. And by doing so, that sending out that life raft, I'm not asking somebody to save me. In fact, I don't want to be cheered up by somebody else, but me reaching out is sending out my own lifeboat, my own rescue ship, because I know that I'm going to be okay if I just talk to somebody. Next question, how to get out of a negative funk. Uh, I think that it's important that we don't force ourselves with toxic positivity. I think it's important that we don't put a happy face when we need to be sad. Sometimes we have to let our crappy moods just be without forcing ourselves out of it. That being said, if it's lingering, like if you're just like in this funk and you can't get out of it, some things that I like to do to move energy are one, evaluate what's causing my mood and change it if it's changeable. What can I do to make some small changes in my life? I might move my body if that's available. Our bodies hold on to negativity, to energy, actually moving our bodies in intuitive ways, whether it's dancing or boxing, if that feels good for you, can be a great way to get that energy out. Breath work. Breathing can guide an emotion out and really change our internal chemistry, can like just make you feel completely new on the inside out. And journal. Find out what's at the root of that bad funk, right? It might not be fixable, but having some insight as to what's weighing you down gives you a better chance at being able to care for yourself. Next question, how did I move on after being broken with? Oh my gosh, this was hard. Especially, like I said, that one that dumped me really hit a lot of my most broken parts. I uh, was unable to see at the time kind of all of that. For me, all I just thought it was about him and us, not all these external things. And one of the things that I did is I spent a lot of time alone, but I also, I dated a lot. And this is going to sound a little funny, but I wasn't dating to find somebody else. But nights were really hard for me in New York City being alone in my studio apartment. I enjoyed the companionship. And just to be super clear here, this wasn't like me dating and, you know, sleeping around and really not being in alignment with who I am. It was just dinner dates. And this was the time when like apps were popular and I had no problem just meeting with people for dinner and going on a first date. I love to meet people. I love to ask questions. That's why I do this podcast. I love first dates. Um, hate second dates, fun fact. But, you know, there's something fun about a first date where you just kind of like show up and especially I wasn't looking to actually be with somebody where you could just like show up and have fun and not take it too seriously. I know that I'm probably alone in feeling this way, but I found them really fun. And it also 
allowed me to feel like lovable again, you know? And again, I wasn't showing anybody my cards or even really doing anything intimately with any of these people. But I thought that dating was really helpful for me, especially because I wasn't dating just to move on. I was dating for myself, if that makes any sense. I'd also take myself to dinner all of the time. And I thought that was really fun. It's important to have fun with yourself and date yourself. That's really key. Get to know yourself, date yourself, have fun with yourself, be comfortable being alone. I spent a lot of time alone, even traveling alone. This time, unlike California, I journaled and I processed a lot of what was going on in my life. This was also when I found meditation for the first time, seated meditation, because I literally had the wind knocked out of me. And some nights I felt like I couldn't breathe. And on nights where it just was so hard, I'd go to YouTube, put on a meditation and just find myself breathing in and out. And it was helped me to take one day, one breath at a time. I had two girlfriends that I told everything to, Jacqueline and Cassidy, and they never got tired of what really became my saga. But I think that you just move on slowly and eventually these little parts of you heal and things get easier every single day. And eventually I met Evan and what was wonderful about him was he stayed when I tried to push him away. And it made me realize that I am lovable, even though I have my broken parts and we all do. And I don't think a man needs to kind of come or a partner needs to come in and do that for you. But Evan is obviously a big part of my healing story and a big part of me rebuilding my self-worth separate from him, if that makes sense any sense. How do I deal when someone is rude to me? So when someone's rude to me, for the most part, I notice that my ego wants to respond right away. It wants to be rude back. It wants to get the last word in. And you just exhaust so much energy that way that's just not worth it. And so oftentimes if somebody cuts me off or like a stranger's rude to me, I'll often just like laugh at how much energy that person exerted on me and how I'm not going to exert that on them. You know, they ain't going to lower my vibe. That's for sure. Okay, that was the last question that I had, and I'm sure there's probably going to be more after this, but I just wanted to provide some insight into my story, to the work that I do on an ongoing basis. I don't strive for ultimate happiness. I don't think that exists. I think life is hard, period, for all of us. I just strive to not be self-destructive and make sure that I am caring for my mental health and prioritizing that portion of health more than anything else. And I really just want to make sure that my words, that my actions, that my behaviors match up with who I want to be and my true, my truthiest feelings. And that's a constant job of checking in, shining light on those darker parts, doing the shadow work and calling yourself out a lot. It's not all fun and games, that's for sure. But it is 100 percent worth it because I am worth it and you are worth it. I'm so grateful for this journey of getting it wrong, for being dumped, for going through all these really hard times. And because of that, I was able to learn about myself. And I'm so grateful to the people that have helped me along the way, even the heartbreak. It was worth it because I got to feel and feeling is important. Feeling pain is important just as much as feeling joy. And as a result, I got to learn even more deeply about who I am and my broken parts and shine light, even more light on those parts that I didn't want to see so badly. So all of it is about learning and we are always healing and we always have the opportunity to grow and take good care of ourselves. So thank you everyone for being here. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and I hope that it helps you in some way or another. You're not alone. You're worth it. You are so freaking lovable. And I'll see you next week on The Truthiest Life. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. 
Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.